learning in the morale when he talks about the two Zogos, the partnership, so to speak, who detail to us the way that the courtroom is meant to run, the instructions for the judges. The first was Yehuda ben Taba and the second was Shimon ben Shetach. And we saw that Yehuda ben Taba talks about how to relate to the two litigants, whereas Shimon ben Shetach talks about how to relate to the witnesses. And as we explained, <coughs> there are really three different tools that the judges have in which to verify the fact what really happened to come to the MS of the situation. The first is to listen to carefully the arguments, the statements made by both of the parties to the disputation, to cross-examine them, to understand from them as best as possible what they're really saying, what, what really happened. The second is to listen to the witnesses as impartial spectators. They're meant to give us a second view on how they saw what happened. Now, we saw lastly the judge has to rely on his inner compass of what makes sense and what's right. And therefore, the halacha is, even in a case where there would be testimony, if the judge feels there's something inherently corrupt about the case, there's some dishonesty that he can't put his finger on, he's not allowed to judge it. Now the advice that the Tanoim give us, the first is the advice of Yudha ben Tabai, we saw not to make yourself a lawyer for one of the two sides, which means even in a case where the judge is convinced that one side is correct. And therefore he feels it's his duty to redress the wrongs done to that party. Nevertheless, he can't act as the lawyer to try and coach him what to say or how to say. Rather, he has to judge based on the arguments that both sides put forward. So the judge has to, so to speak, temper his personal decision of what's right and wrong and only based his verdict on the claim made by the by the contestant in, the, in question. The second point he said is when a person, the judge, is trying to base his ruling on the arguments of the two litigants, so he has to treat them both as Rishon. Now we understand you can't treat one as a Russian, one as a Tzadik, that would be unfair, it would make the case unbalanced. But we asked last time why not treat them both as tadikim, and the answer we gave to that is because if a person assumes, assumes someone to be a tadik, then I accept whatever they say. I give them the benefit of the doubt, I assume what they're saying is true. And if that's the case, I'm failing in my capacity of being a judge. Because the judge is meant to analyze and to examine what's being said and if it's true, and to make sure that everything we said is something which isn't an exaggeration or isn't a, an interpretation which didn't really happen. And the judge will only look at things with that critical analysis. If he considers each one to be the Russia, and therefore he, he needs to verify everything that they say. But really there's a stronger point to too. And that is, in a case where two parties are disagreeing with each other, they're contradicting each other, 
Most times it's a case where one of them is telling me the truth and one of them is lying. The Gemara talks about such a case. We have two people in front of the dying and each one claims 100%. We call it Tainas Bari. He's confident that he's completely right. And in such a case the Gemara was talking about there was no proof. So the Gemara wants each of them to make a sure. Each of them to, to make a sure that what they're saying is true. And the Gemara brings a dissenting opinion. And that is, you can't make both and make a shvah because then unknowingly making somebody make a shvah which is not true. But that means something else. When the judge is listening to two arguments which are contradictory, it means the judge knows somebody here is lying to the court. He might not know which one, but he does know that somebody's lying. And obviously his job as the judge is to try and unravel the truth and understand who's being honest and who's lying. And therefore, when the mission tells us that the, the judge has to look at both parties as Rishayim, that's because one of them really is. Somebody's lying and basting. But if that's the case, what needs explanation is what the mission says after that, and that is, once the two parties have left the basting, then you were never because I can have to look at them both as being righteous. Because if they accept the verdict, then look at them both as being righteous. And now this needs explanation. Because if you looked at them as being Rishayim, because I look at them as having been dishonest in Bastin, so even if I've passed, I come to the conclusion, and I've unraveled who's right and who's wrong, and I've decided the case. So I've decided, let's say, Reuben is correct and Shimon is not. So why not do it if they have now left my courtroom? Do I look at them both as tzaddikim? Why don't I still have to look at Shimon as a Russia? So this is what the morale comes to explain. And he says, Ba'amar, kashniftarim ilfanechu shnehim katsadikim kashikibradim. The reason why when they leave me, I should consider them both to be tzaddikim if they accept the verdict. The vada kabaras hadin himila tova. Ki ayna demroya khavla atzmu ilfigh baladin. So the Maral says the second point, another point first. He says that the, case, the reason why they came to Adin Torah in the first place was because each person decided he was right. The person naturally doesn't consider himself to have been wrong. And therefore, from their perspective, each person is considered, he considers himself to be correct and other one to be wrong. But when a person is prepared to accept the judgment against him, if that's the case, that makes him into a tzaddik. Let's explain this with a story. A story which is said about the Baisalevi. In the town where he was a rough, there was a certain butcher. And in those days, the way a butcher would work is he would buy an animal, he would bring it home to Shechtet, and he would sell the meat. And if the, for some reason the animal was a trafer, was uh, unconscious, so he suffered a big loss because it wasn't like today that there was a production and that the meat could be sold to non-Jews or in other ways. Then it was a private endeavor. And if he didn't, sell, if he didn't have meat to sell to the Jews, then most of the animal would get lost. 
So it'd be a big loss. So the story goes about a certain butcher that he had a shayla on an animal and he came to ask the Basalevi if it's kosher or trek. Basalevi considered the case and eventually came to a verdict that the animal is trek. It has to be thrown away. Okay, the butcher wasn't happy but he accepted uh, in silence that's the psak and he left. A few months later this butcher was back in front of the Basalevi but this time as part of a dinner. He had gotten into an argument with the customer and the two of them were disagreeing about a certain amount of money and they came to the Basalevi for a ruling. The amount of money in question was a small amount. And the Basalevi heard both sides and he considered the case and in the end he passed in favor of the other party he passed against the butcher. The butcher jumps up, his face is bright red, he bangs the table, he says, you don't know how to paskin, who made you a diner in the first place, you don't understand anything, and he has to get removed from the room. And the Gaboim with the Basilevi turned to him and said, we don't understand. So in the first case, when you paskins, that his animals are trafer, it cost him a loss of thousands of rubles. And yet he accepted quietly and didn't argue, didn't complain. And now in this case, against this other person, the, dis- the amount of under-disputation is a very small amount. And yet here, when you pass it against him, he lost control of himself. What's the difference? What happened? And the Basilevi said an uh, important principle. And he said it wasn't the money. It was this time he was wrong. Because when a person comes to Shaila, and he doesn't know the halacha, so he doesn't have an opinion, he doesn't know. He's coming to ask the Rav for a psak, and uh, whatever the psak is going to be, okay, he, I don't know. I didn't have an opinion one way or the other. So it might be a loss, but a person can, can swallow a loss. But in the case where a person had an opinion, that this is what I think, and this is what I see the story, and this is what I believe to be correct, and somebody disagrees with my opinion, it's not the amount of money at stake. It's the fact that it means I was wrong. And therefore some people can't accept the fact that they were wrong. And this butcher might have been able to accept the psak regarding trefer, which he didn't know the halachas, and would respect whatever the Rav said. But when it came to a question of a, dealing with a case between him and somebody else, and he had an opinion, and he held he was right, then he wasn't prepared, wasn't able to accept the psak against him. And that's what the Maral is saying over here. The fact that somebody is able to accept Basin's psak already shows a sign of a tzaddik. Not the person that Basin ruled against them and, like in the case of the butcher, they had to be dragged from the courtroom cursing and shouting. That they were forced to listen because they had no option. If a person accepts, okay, if that's a Basin, what Basin said, I accept that they're right. That shows a certain level of tzitkos because it means even though a person originally saw himself as being correct, and that's why he came to Basin, he's on the level he's able to rethink his position and back down and change his mind. And therefore, that makes him a tzaddik. Because if they accept the din, it means that they're willing to change. They're willing to recant. They're willing to accept a different position. And like we said, that's a sign of a tzaddik. So that's the first point. And shows us another point too. The story about Rabbi Shal that one time, 
there was an argument between two different towns. And they were looking not for a judge, but rather somebody to as an arbitrate argument. So both of them sent a delegation to Israel Salanta to present their sides to the story. And they expected him to be the the, the one to basically be a buyer, be the one to decide between them, like an arbitrator. And the way they present the question is that there's an argument to two sides, and they want to be sure to decide who's right and who's wrong. So Vishal Salanta asks them, how long has this argument been going on for? And it says it's been going on for a few months already. And Vishal said, if that's the case, it's not a question of who's right and who's wrong. He said, if that's the case, you're both wrong. Why? And Vishal explains. He said, in the Makhlaikas, it could be, one can ask the question of who's right and who's wrong for the first five minutes of the Makhlaikas. After that, they're both wrong. Why? Because maybe at the beginning, they were fighting about a principle. And if that's the case, then the question is who's right and who's wrong. But once there's already an argument between the two of them, so what they're fighting about now is they're fighting that they're right. And now it's less about what the principle was or what the original discussion or disagreement stemmed from. But right now what's motivating the argument is that I'm right. And I want to prove that I'm right. Therefore he held that both sides are really wrong. There's the same thing by a court case. If two people come to Bastin, it's of course about the issue that they're arguing about. But a big part of the argument also is that each one sees things from their perspective and wants to be proved right. And if that's the case, if that's the case, the somebody whose whole way of looking at it is, I'm right and I want to prove that I'm right, will find it very difficult to accept a verdict against himself from a basement. And a person is willing to accept the verdict of basement against them, and so, and concede, okay, so then I was wrong, means that the argument wasn't just, wasn't a completely uh, negative argument which was based only on each one's matters, it was a bad point, and if the point's been resolved, so then there's no reason to argue anymore. Now we're talking about a very high dagger. A dagger one doesn't often see. You don't often see two people going to an argument in a base tent, which each one, considering himself to be right and the other one to be completely wrong, each one very sure of their position, and then after base has heard the case and have ruled like one of them, the two people in question shake hands, make up, and say, okay, so then that's the resolution, everything's great, you can go back to what was our relationship of before. Normally there's still a lot of residual hard feelings and the reason for that is because each one felt not just that this was the case and who's right and what's the halakha in the case but each one, I'm right. And even if I'm paskined against but okay, so I might have been paskined against but it doesn't necessarily mean that a person therefore forgoes all the feeling that he had for, so to speak, accepting his side. And therefore, if a person is able to overlook that and uh, accept the psaq of basin wholeheartedly, then for sure that's a sign of a tzaddik. So let's read that point inside. The moral says, Ki shabali dinim Like we saw, one of them is for sure wrong, one of them is for sure lying. 
And now the second one, the Maisa, I don't look at him as being a perfect Tzadik either. He's also involved in the Din Torah, and therefore I suspect him also as somebody who's there to protect his position. And he brings the proof of this when he talks about the fact that there's an argument between two people. And the Aracha is that one of them has to make a Shvur, with Hashem's name, which is a very serious thing to do. The Pasuk says, Shvur Hashem Tia Ben Shleim. That the shvur should be between the two of them. And on that, the Gemara understands that the responsibility for the shvur is in both of them. The one who's making the shvur, and the other body, the other one who pushed them into, in, into the position where they had to make a shvur. So they're considered responsible too. And therefore, I see them both of them responsible for the situation of the din. And so he brings the people who, in the present, at the time, when someone has to make a shvur, they say, Like, leave the inverence of these wicked people. And why are we blaming both of them? Only one's making a shvur. So that the Gemara says, Shvur Sashem Tiyabin Shlein. The shvur is considered between both of them. Menamit Shashvur Chal Hashlein. But both, the shvur happened because of both of them. Bechoza, Kivin Shayesh, Dinimoy, Shlein Yukrem Mishayim. And therefore, whenever there's a case of a din, which for sh- both sides are dead sets in their opinions, you have to look at them both as being Rishayim. In other words, each one is arguing just to justify his own perspective, his own position. If they accept it, then, then I see this wasn't something which was motivated by just protecting my own opinion, rather something which is, was arguing about the point in question. And if they both accept it, then, then I can look at both as tzaddikim. If it wouldn't have been the makhluk, it's not accepted then, it means it's a certain set, a certain righteousness. And therefore, if were, what they were looking for was what's correct, and then they were, they were both willing to makabal the din, which is correct. And that's the Pasuk says that the din tzedek tzedek tzedek, you must look for what's correct. And therefore, even originally, it caused the argument between them. That was before there was a, a, a gold standard which decided what's right. As before, there was an asset verification of what the MS is. When it comes to that clarity, and there's a decision that this is what's right, the Hainradin, that's the verdict of the judge. If they're both willing to accept what's right, then I look back at them and saying they weren't arguing out of their own egos, they were arguing for what's right. And the proof of that is, is when, when what, what is right has been handed down as a, as a psak, they both accept it. That's, and therefore, how do you go back and answer the question we asked before? And as if you look on the level of Midas, and we say for sure, people come to argue about Abacheskas having bad Midas. Whereas if we see that after they accept the Psak, then that justifies that the argument before was really about the principle and not about the Midas. And what about the other point? When they're both, uh, they're both contradicting each other in Bastin, it means somebody is lying. So the answer to that is that, sure, as a judge, objectively, I'll see someone's lying. But I don't judge each of them as a Russia because each one's convinced he's saying the truth. And that's a general rule in Dana Kapschos, that most people aren't trying to be Rishon. And therefore, he's seeing things from his perspective, and in his, in his mind, he thinks he's right. And therefore, even though as a judge, I have to decide objective who's right and who's wrong. 
And to do that, I have to look at them both as a shame and say, who's the one who's lying to me? Who's wrong? But after Dina, give him the appellation, you're the Russia who lied. No, if he's willing to accept it in, then I say that he only told me what he said to me because that's what he thought the truth was. But now that it's been clarified in the basin that this is the truth, and he accepts it, so I don't consider him him to be a liar. And that's why I consider him, if he accepts it in, to be a tzaddik. Now obviously this is only in the case where Bastin decides the din. In other words, if Bastin have come to a conclusion, this is what happened and this is the psak, then we accept them both to accept it. And then if they would, that means that they weren't trying to lie. Very often the situation is that Bastin doesn't have a psak. And therefore Bastin doesn't have a clarity or a, con- or a conclusion as to what happened. Rather, in a situation of unknown circumstances, Bastin have a way to act. So it's either going to be resplitted or we'd even whatever the case may be. That's not a psak. That's not a decision that this is what happened and therefore this is the psak. Rather, that's basically saying we don't know what happened and therefore because we're in the case of uncertainty to the fact of the case, this is our psak. And then each side might still feel that they were right. Basically, hasn't passed against them in the sense they're saying that what they held was wrong. Basically, just said that in a situation where we don't know what to do, then this is how we act. Therefore, that's not what we're talking about over here. We're talking about here when the when the basin does reach a conclusion, and then if that's the case, then we expect the other party, even though that's not the way they saw it, but to to back down and accept basin's conclusion. When they're fighting, we blame the fight on Machlaikas, and that's what's pushing them to keep fighting. That's what we're looking about, Now there's no longer Machlaikas, they both accepted the ruling. They weren't arguing just as a Machlaikas, you know, as an expression of their own bad business, rather they wanted to, they had a discussion about or argument about the money in question. Once that's been resolved, there's no Machlaikas anymore. So that's the explanation that he gives for Yehuda ben Tabai. Now we come to the second part of the Mishnah, and then he talks about Shemim ben Shedach. Shemim ben Shedach talks about how he meant to relate to the witnesses rather than how he meant to relate to the two disputants. And says the Ma'arav, They came to, in a way which is very necessary, to establish how to set up a court case. The first is not to take one side, a person to be very careful of that. Obviously, he's going to slant the objectivity of the case if the judge takes one of the sides. And that shouldn't be the cause of rendering a judgment which is going to be unbalanced. And something likely to happen. That the judge gets the feeling one of them is more of a tzaddik. He's more right. And therefore more likely to see things from his perspective. And then again, that might be a mistake. Now we come to the instruction of Shem ben Shetach. There are many ways that one word of the evidence can change the case. Sometimes the witness doesn't know the halacha, and therefore he doesn't know what critical thing he has to say which is going to make the whole halacha change. And now we're listening to him, we're listening carefully to what has he said, what hasn't he said, 
and sometimes he's missed out the point, which is what you're waiting to hear. And therefore, in a case like that, he has to be careful not to let the aide know what you want him to say, because that might be the reason why he's going to say it, in which case we're basing our psaq on something dishonest, on what he told the witness to say rather than what he wanted to say on his own. And again, this is something which needs a person to be careful about, because even if they decided who's right and who's wrong in the case, but sometimes the, there's a certain element which is going to change the halacha a lot. And we need to hear, was it, was it fact the present or wasn't it? And here also, one can't lead the witness or lead the person they're talking to to say what the person understands he needs to say because maybe that's not really what happens. I'll give you an example. We had a case now, basically a week ago, of somebody who, his job is he hires out a hole. And sometimes, when obviously, halls are more popular when one's a hall. And some such as like poem, it's one of the most popular days in the year for a hall. And therefore, this person came to Basin and he said that someone had called him to hire the hall for like poem. And he told the person he should not. Like poem is one of the most popular days in the year. And you should know that if you take the hall, I'm sure I'm going to get many other phone calls who are people who want the hall. And therefore, are you sure that when you, you, when you, Signing on the hall, you, are you sure you really want it? And the person said yes. And a week before Agbaima, he changed his mind. He does, for whatever reason, things fell through. He doesn't want the hall anymore. Okay, so the two of them came to the basement. So now we heard the case. Yes, where everything the man said is true. Agbaima is a day with the aunt enough halls. Everybody wants halls in Agbaima. And he said himself, after having agreed with the first individual, so you got many calls of other people who wanted the hall as well. But we are waiting for him to say one more point, the critical line in this case. And that is, did he also say, therefore, if you're going to sign for the hall, you are responsible for the full price of the hall, even if you don't take it? Or didn't he say that? He just said you should know other people who want it, and uh, and I'm going to suffer a loss if you don't take it. But he never said the extra line, and therefore you're going to be responsible for that. And it makes a very big difference. Because if there was an verbal agreement between them, and that is that if you're going to sign for the hall, it means you're accepting responsibility to pay full price even if you don't take it. And the other person accepted that, then we're the best will machai from the whole of it. But if there was, he just warned him, he said, you should know that if you don't take it along, we're going to suffer a loss. Then he never went to the next step, and he never obligated himself to pay the whole amount. Then all he can do is, is charge his damages, how much he lost out. Because he, the first person had locked the hall. Now, obviously the people involved might not know that that detail is going to change a lot the way we look at the case. And therefore the thing is, we can't lead them on. We can't say, and did you say this? Or, and did you discuss how much they have to pay for you? How much you have to pay? Because that might be giving them the point, which is the leading question, which they're going to answer the way they think, now that they know what we want from them, which might not be true and makes a very big difference to the case. That's the first point of what Shemesh Mitzedach says. Be very careful how you ask a question to the witness. He doesn't understand from what you said, or what you want to hear, and it's going to cause him to lie. Why? Because the Maral says, From the question, then he asks, understands what the questioner wants. He's going to adapt what he says in order to, in order to get what he wants, even though it's Shaker. And he said that's partial. But that was the But there's another meaning here as well. It's not just.
it's not just a question of uh, the aid actively lying to satisfy what the dying wants to hear. But I learned there's another chapter in this Mishnah too, and that is something I learned from a study they did in a number of universities in America. They wanted to understand how people recall events. So what they did is they took a thousand volunteers, a thousand students, and they put them all in the hall. And they said, we're going to show you a, uh, on the screen, we're going to show you a recording of an event which happened. Look at it carefully, because afterwards, you're going to be the witness who's going to describe what you saw. And that's what they did. They showed all these thousand students, uh, picked a scene, a recording of a car crash on the screen. And afterwards, they took each one into a side room where there was the judge, so to speak, sitting and examining the witnesses. And each of the thousand students who came in, so the judge, so to speak, cross-examined him as a witness for the car accident which they witnessed. And of course, in each case, the judge asked the same basic questions. Where were you? What did you see? What happened? And then, this is obviously what the researchers wanted to know, he asked one one question which was the point of the of the experiment and 500 out of the thousand people he asked them tell me something when you saw the incident did you see broken glass flying and then the other 500 he asked tell me something when you saw the one car smash into the other car did you see broken glass flying and in the first category when he asked when you saw the incident did you see broken glass flying? All the respondents said no. In the second category, when he asked, when you saw the one car smash into the other car, did you see broken glass flying? Most of the respondents said yes. Now they gathered everyone together again and said, okay, let's, let's, watch, let's watch the replay. The footage, watch again what happened. And they watched the scene again and there was no broken glass. And when they came to a conclusion, that the way people remember is by association. And therefore, even though they all knew that what they had seen, but the association of hearing a car smash gives me the idea of broken glass. And therefore, when someone puts the two words together, when you saw the one car smash, did you see broken glass? I think broken glass. And therefore, I'm pretty sure I saw it. Whereas if I'm just going to ask without that word which is going to have that association, or else when you saw the incident, then did I see broken glass? No. I don't remember seeing broken glass. And that I understood is a pattern of Mishnah too. You have to be careful what you say, because the Kirby is not actively causing the aid to lie, that he knows what you want and he's, he's willfully distorting the truth. Rather, it could be the association of how you explain the question makes the aid think a certain way, and that's also not completely true. And therefore, the judge has to be very careful that the way he's asking the question is completely neutral, that he's not providing any, so to speak, uh, mental imagery for the aid that's going to think a certain way if that's not true. And the reason for this is obvious. Being as the, the, the truth of the case rests on what we accept from the witnesses, rests on the testimony. So persons, you make sure that the testimony is completely what the witnesses are saying and hasn't been tampered with and hasn't been twisted in any way which is going to, uh, it's, it's going to dilute the honesty or the accuracy of what they say. So that's the two parts of the advice of Yudha bin Tabi and Shimon bin Chetach for the Dayanim. In the last paragraph, we'll see next time, as the Shem the Maral puts it together, how this was what was necessary for those to know him to say.